and it looks like, well, we're, we are and we're not live. Greetings, friends of the apocalypse. This is Jared the Apocalypse Nerd Wallace coming to you from Podcast at Ground Zero, episode 39, the James Ward interview. Uh, with me tonight is my stalwart co-host, uh, Adam Baumglancy, and special guest tonight is game designer and post-apocalyptic gaming legend, James Ward. Hello, that in the corner won't get you a bottle of Coke anymore. <laughs> or a bag of it either. But anyway, all right, folks, uh, this... <laughs> wow. Great, we're starting off on a great foot there, Jared. Terrific. Thanks, buddy. Hey, it's, um, this is how, you know, it's... Now that we're rolling, it's going to be, it's going to be chaos. So, folks, right. <laughs> this episode is not broadcast live like we usually are, so nobody's hearing us live, but they'll be watching us um, on the YouTube channel like they normally do, but we had some technical difficulties, folks. That's why uh, you're seeing this later, like everybody else, but no problem. We're getting it to work. The important thing is we wanted to get this going, and we wanted to uh, talk to Jim here. Uh, you know, we wanted to prod and poke and find out and get him to reveal all his secrets about, uh, about himself, or at least as much as he'll reveal. All right, folks, a little bit different format tonight. We're going to, we kind of got some questions structured, and we're actually going to try to follow along and uh, kind of keep an outline going, which is a little bit unusual for us. But we want to try to, you know, steer things along in a certain path. And, of course, we will ad-lib and ask lots of things like we normally do just to keep uh, Jim on his toes. And Scott shake his head no. He knows that's going to happen, so... Uh, Mr. Wallace, do you mind if we um, alternate back and forth between questions asked, since we're working from the same list? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm going to start. Uh, I'm going to start with the pre uh, these questions that uh, we gave him ahead of time, and then we'll we'll add in some of the uh, viewer questions that we've gotten as well. Okay. Now, uh, first thing we want to know, and first things I'm sure some of our viewers want to know because they may or may not know this is, how did you get started in the, uh, the gaming industry, Jim? All right. This is one of my favorite stories to tell. The time is June of 1974. Young Jim Ward has just graduated from college, and every Tuesday he would go to the Lake Geneva bookstore because that's when they'd get in their new science fiction and fantasy books. And so there I am picking up my Conan books and my uh, Andre Norton books, and I was just going down the road looking for the new listings. And right beside me is this big biker dude. And he's got a scraggly beard and he's, he's kind of husky. And I get done with the row and I have seven books in my hand. And the guy has the exact seven books in his hand. So we thought this was very funny. And uh, we got to talking. And he said he had a game where I could play Conan the Barbarian and fight Seth. And that guy was named Gary Gygax. And I started playing on his porch every Saturday, uh, learning how to play D&D. And that's how I got started. <laughs> and Scott finds that delightful. That beats... That beats every how I got started in gaming story ever. I don't care if you were on a plane, it was crashing, and that was then you broke out the, the, the red box on the way down. That beats them all. Yeah, it was pretty strange, wasn't it? So, so back then, uh, in the early days, Gary looked like uh, just looked like a biker, huh? Oh, he looked like a big biker dude with a bandana and uh. And blue jeans jacket, and he had a very uh, biker beard, and quite a personable guy. I mean, he was very nice, but he just, he looked a little rough. Wow. <laughs> I, I didn't think we were going to have a Sons of Anarchy crossover, <laughs> but all right. Yeah, yeah really. <laughs> That's funny. That's very good. Yes, Scott. Oh, my God. Well, that, that, that beats my getting to start a gaming story of, uh, you know, I was at my my grandmother's house in Tampa, Florida, and me and my two cousins played with the neighbor kid at the dining room table. That, you know, that, 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 that trumps all of those kind of stories for sure, you know? There we go. All right, cool. That's it. So then, uh, so that's how you kind of got introduced to gaming, and then I guess it all kind of rolled from there, Jim, right? Like, so you uh, 
got involved with Gary, and then you, did you start like working with him over time, I guess? Well, you know, my, my first working with Gary was I was playing the game with him for about a year, and I said, Gary, you have to do a science fiction version of this. And Gary said, you know, Jim, I don't have the time. Why don't you give it a try? And I was very shocked because he had no idea. I mean, nobody was writing role-playing games in those days. The D&D brown box set had just come out. And so Metamorphosis Alpha got born by Gary not having the time to write it himself. Okay. Well, that, that really answers the next question I had on the list was, you know, what inspired you to create Metamorphosis Alpha? And apparently it was uh, Gary's laziness or, 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 <laughs> or lack of time. There we go. Lack of time is probably better than laziness. Well, I mean, but lazy. I, was, <laughs> I was very pleased to try it, and uh, and it turned out very well. We sold quite a few of them over the years, and now I've got the rights back, and I'm selling um, the new version even as we speak. Excellent. Now, if we could roll back to roll back to the question of the Metamorphosis Alpha again, was so now we know why how it all came about. Now, so questions for me, and I'm sure a lot of people have asked the questions and seen some answers. What were some of your influences in creating that world? Like what influenced Oh, you? I see. Sure. Well, I, I had D&D to go by, but I wanted to make sure that there wasn't, yeah, even in those days, I was thinking about copyright issues. I wanted to make it different enough so that it was his own game. And I'd been reading science fiction for years and years and years. I started with the Hardy Boys and Tom Swift in fifth grade and pretty much read every single science fiction and fantasy book I could get my hands on um, all through high school and college. So I, I'd read a lot of science fiction. Hmm. Was there any particular uh, books or stories that influenced the setting? Because I know you've alluded to things like the... Uh, the Harlan Ellison stories and uh, Heinlein's Orphans of the Sky. Orphans of the Sky. Well, actually, the one that influenced me the most was a Brian Aldiss book called Starship. Starship. Yep, I've read I've read that myself. All right, so that influenced me the most in making making my ship and what happened on it. Now, if I remember, wait, Starship was that the one where uh, uh, I'm trying to think? Is that the one? Where it winds up being everybody like the the one character moves really slow compared to all the other people in there because of the, or is that? Um... No, that's not it. It's a it's a colonization starship that goes out into space, but it winds up going back to Earth, and it it took three or four hundred years to get back to Earth, but everybody was didn't realize on the starship that it was a ship. They thought it was a planet. And so they, they uh, moved around the ship. It came into the solar system, and Earth went to it because they had the technology to do that. And so these giant people started moving around the ship. And the main character is one of the little people that was born on the ship, and he discovers that it's a starship. And in the very end, he activates some weird stuff, and all of the levels split out into... Um, coins. They split out into spaceship chunks that uh, that the ship comes apart. Hmm. Okay. Now, I've read it in a long time, so it's my, my yeah, favorite wonderful one. story. <laughs> wonderful oh. story. Lots of neat things. So that's how I got the idea of monsters on the ship and radiation doing things on the ship and tech being combined with primitive stuff. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, well, that that would also would get us into one of the questions. Uh, one of our viewers asked a question of related to Metamorphosis Alpha was he asked they asked where would you take Metamorphosis Alpha in the future or our, our real world? Well, it's a great question. I I think it's got kind of a, a weird answer. I'm hoping I answered this properly, but I'm trying to get computer games done on it. And I'm trying to get a live-action show done on it. Oh, oh, wow. So that's where I'm going to take it in the real world. But do you mean, like, game-wise, where would I take it? I, I think he might be asking, since it's uh, going on 30 years, a little over 30 years later, um, would your view of technology, how much would your view of modern technology change the way you approached your 
generation ship, uh, or would you still keep, keep with what, I mean, nowadays we look at it and think of Metamorphosis Alpha and Gamma World as being very retro future, but would you want to keep that retro future, which now is considered classic and awesome, or would you want to adapt it to modern perceptions of what the future is going to be? Yeah, I guess it all depends on how greedy I am. <laughs> um, you, know, you, you want to connect into what people will buy into the most. Mm -hmm. So I definitely put holodecks on the Starship Warden because, you know, that's what the uh, Star Trek kids love. And I definitely put in, you know, Star Wars and other kind of connections because that's what the modern-day science fiction is. You know, it's, it's still a big story. I mean, the, the, you know, certainly in Star Wars, he's grabbing all the, the legends and myths from the Greeks and the Romans. But uh, for me, I, I, I want to keep the nostalgia in there, which I think appeals to people. Oh, yeah, definitely, because, you know, the whole movement of the whole, re you know, the uh, the retro clones and all the, you know, the old school classic gaming, the Dungeon Crawl classics that Goodman Game does. So that's, you know, it's kind of, you know, become popular at this point. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's a lot to be said for retro futurism. Um, you know, um, certainly it's what, you know, has, it's what kept uh, Frank Chadwick's Space 1889 alive. Uh, until the steampunk crowd re rediscovered it, and, um, and you know it's and ruined it. Thank you, Jerry. <laughs> um, and also the um, I'd also say that you know uh, things like I, I think Gamma World was I, I don't know if anyone's ever copped to it, but it always felt like the Gamma World retrofuturism was a huge influence on uh, the um, the Fallout game series. Oh, sure, could be. I know it was an influence on Thundar the Barbarian. Mm, oh. Yes. Oh, uh, we, we love Thundar. We, we did a show uh, a couple of shows ago all about th just, just Thundar the Barbarian. Uh-huh. Yeah, Th Thundar was where we got our game ideas for Gamma World. We just went and... Oh, there we go. We ported, when we were 13 or 14, we ported, ported Thundar episodes back into our Gamma World games. Sure, I can understand that very well. <laughs> Absolutely. Now... Uh, since we kind of talked about Gamma World a little bit, uh, my my next uh, question would be then because after Metamorphosis Alpha came Gamma World. So, uh, what was your inspiration for uh, for creating Gamma World, and you know, what were your influences, you know, in, and your influences in creating it as well? Sure, we got tonnage of mail from fans um, from into TSR that said they wanted a planet version of Metamorphosis Alpha. They wanted a bigger scale. You know, basically, M.A. is uh, an adventure in a tin can, in a spaceship. And they wanted something planet-wide um, that, was, that was new and different and, and added to the, the game system of Metamorphosis Alpha. So that's how Game World was born. Oh, wow. So it was just a simple uh, matter of... Uh... Fan demands is ask asking for something, huh? Yes, absolutely. Oh wow! And then uh, that's I see. I never do that. See um, now now. What were your influence? Now again, I guess just besides expanding the Metamorphosis Alpha universe onto a planet, were there any other influences for that? Like on why you did certain things, maybe in creating the world. Or um, anything like that that helped create that that different world because it's it's just, it's different it's just, it's got similarities but it's got differences so what what created that differences in making that world? Sure, no, that's a fair question. And again, I was trying to do something a little bit different from Metamorphosis Alpha. I'd been reading a lot of um, apocalyptic books, books about you know big plagues hitting the earth. Um, the the certainly the the war. Nuclear war was a big topic all the time, and I'd read a lot of books about that. So what I was trying to do was incorporate the books and the novels and the movies um, that had come up that showed the big apocalypse and people trying to survive in that time period. Oh, great. So did you read any books like um, around that time? Well, like I Am Legend. Remember that one? Yep, Richard Madison. Yes, that had two or three different movies. You know, the last one I think was uh, what was that actor who did that last? I am Will Legend. Smith. Will, Will Smith. Smith. 
Yes, thank you very much. Will Smith. Well, the first one was a black and white with Vincent Price. Yep. And then, of course, there was a Charlton Heston one, which I really loved. Oh, yeah. We, we, we love that one, too. Yeah. So the, those kind of stories helped me generate the, uh, the big idea of, of Gam World and, and surviving in a world gone crazy. Can I um, ask a, a related question to that? Um, uh, I was curious, uh, your apocalypse was actually, to me, up to that point, was a, and, and certainly since then, was sort of a unique apocalypse. You uh, created a world that it's, it's hundreds of years in our future. It's, we're expecting Star Trek, you know, in, in these centuries in the future. And yet, uh, people managed to, um, all that managed to do was to bring the power of, uh, you know, nuclear weapons down to your local uh, terrorist group, you know, uh, and nerve gas and, and all these weapons of mass destruction are now available to the, uh, sort of the smallest violent political player. And you created a, a, an apocalypse of global political terrorism, um, which I have never seen before, really, or since. And I'm curious, uh, was what was your? It felt like your 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 inspirations might have been Lebanon in the 70s, and I'm just curious if uh -huh. where, where you were going, where 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 sort of those ideas came from, if you you have any recollection. You know that that's a that's a very good question. My partner in crime at that time, Paul Jacques, was helping me write this, and he came up with the idea of cryptic alliances, of groups that had their own agenda and they didn't care how they implemented the agenda as long as it happened. And we just kind of went wild from there. So um, we, we definitely didn't have the idea of worldwide terrorist groups, but we did have the idea of clumps of, of crazies being able to do crazy things to affect their portion of the earth. So one group pops the uh, the big ugly bug the satin bug that kills everybody and another group pops the uh, the atomic missiles that that hurt everybody and so we, we thought of several different ways that the earth gets destroyed and we even hinted at aliens doing part of the work as well so it, it just all sprang from the idea of the cryptic alliances that are in gamma world that aren't in metamorphosis alpha uh, I gotta ask this question because everyone wants to know What's your favorite crypto alliance? Do you have? Do you, do you, have do you have a favorite crypto alliance? Uh, no, I love all of my children equally, Scott. Thank you very much for asking that. If I if I said I favored one alliance, they would be sad for hundreds of years. Yeah, well, we can't have that. They, no, they, we can't have they, that. They tear down. They tear down the statues of of you that they lay their sacrifices in front of. Exactly. Uh, all right. Now, uh, again, speaking of Gamma World, the question I had is because there's been, as you know, several editions. And, you know, oh, yes, there have. Been quite a few editions. There's been editions that were created when you were still uh, working with TSR and then plenty afterwards. What was the last edition that you actually worked on, Jim? I, I helped with the first and the second ones and then didn't do anything after that. Yes, I smell the difference. <laughs> oh no, we're going to be accused of additions wars again, Jared. Oh uh, yeah, we I've I, I've been accused of additions war many a time when I talk about Gam World because I I've let people know on the podcast that it's my absolute favorite uh, role playing game ever. It was like the first game I ever uh, really got into, and our show that we did about Gam World, I got accused we got accused of it. It's nothing but addition wars. It's like no, I'm just telling you what I like. You know, that's all. Yeah, we, we, can't, we, can't, we can't tell you which one's better. We just tell you the ones that we like. That's fair. I, I purposely do not talk about the later ones um, because I, I, uh, I, I don't feel like bad-mouthing them and my baby. It's like your baby grows up and he goes away to New York and he becomes a drug lord. That's what's happening with my poor baby. Oh. Yeah, well, all we, all we have to say, Jim, is... They have not treated your child as well as you did. That's all I got to say about it. <laughs> no. Well, that's very true. So what we should probably get away from that topic. I'm sure there's other fascinating things you guys have to ask Mo me. Moving right along. along. And actually, yeah, uh, thank you. 
Now, even though even though we consider you the father of apocalyptic gaming uh, by creating Metamorphosis Alpha and Gamma World, um, you've done more than just uh, those two games, Jim. So let's. Uh, let's I have. I, I know it's it seems strange that you would do something else that you would actually move on and do other things, but uh, let's let's uh, let's you know sidestep the apocalyptic stuff for a moment, and why don't you tell tell us uh, some of, some of your other works besides Metamorphosis Alpha and Gamerol that you've worked on over the years? Wow, you know that's I've been doing this stuff for over forty years. That's a pretty big list, actually. I have some things I'm very proud of. I'm very proud of the Dragon Ball Z collectible card game. Mm. I did the first uh, seven sets of that game. Oh, wow. And it sold great. Yeah, made millions and millions of dollars. So that's pleasing to me. Um, I just finished, as a matter of fact, let me hold it up. Let me see if you can see this. This is called the 77 Lost Worlds. We're trying to get this in, in sight here. No, it's just not going to happen. It's a box set that it's another apocalyptic world, but it, it's got a great new story. The partner that I have, Stephen Lee, had a great idea. Let's have mankind settle on 77 different worlds, and then let's have the aliens destroy them all. So what happens is you play in a universe where mankind was doing really well until the aliens put the hammer down on them. <laughs> and it just came out this this last year, and uh, we're just starting to get the word out on it. There's a great website, 77 Lost Worlds, where you can look at the product and order it. But I'm really proud of that because it uses a new kind of uh, game system. I use a deck of cards in 77 Lost Worlds, and when you get a red card, you're happy and the role-playing goes very well for you, and when you get a black card as you're playing through the deck, you're not happy, and bad things happen to you. <laughs> so it kind of, the, the deck of cards not only determines your success or failure, it also sets the mood during the game. Actually, I, I have a copy. Uh, I haven't packed it away yet, but I have my copy of uh, 77 Lost Worlds in the game closet myself. I, was, I think I was one of the first people to order it. Oh, neat! You know, I well, had... thank you very much, sir. I appreciate that. Oh no, I'm always I'm always going to support a uh, good-looking post-apocalyptic uh, game, especially something that you've worked on. So, um, yeah. So again, I, I'll post all this kind of information uh, on the website. Get people uh, to see where that stuff is. But yeah. oh, thank you very much. Oh, of course, of course. I'm definitely going to help promote. And I because I've actually mentioned the game in previous uh, podcasts as well. So. Uh, that I got that I got the game in, and I saw you had that new unique mechanic of the, of the playing cards, and that actually eliminates one of the questions on the list because I was going to ask you about Seventy Seven Worlds <laughs> down the road. Oh, there we um, go. Yeah, good, good, good. Well, uh, and and I've done lots of other things. Of course, I've been working at it for forty years. Um, the Troll Lord Boys have been keeping me very busy. Um, I've done bunches of products with them. One of one of my favorites is a book called Of Gods and Monsters which deals with the different uh, historical pantheons. But I try to really incorporate a lot of role-playing. Um, if, if you're a member of the pantheon, it gives your character special pantheon powers, and we have the gods interested in what you're doing. So the gods will give you quests. So one day you're walking along and you're wondering what you're going to do, and Ares puts his spear down on the ground in front of you, and you walk up, you discover this spear, and you pick it up, and it's amazing, because that's a god spear, and you're off on a new quest with that spear being the, the, the beginning of the quest. So I try to really work role-playing into the pantheons. I've done several different books like Deities and Demigods where we talk about the pantheons, but I, I'm really, in these days, I kind of call myself an old-school player because... I want to, I want to work in the storyline. That's all important for me. I'm, I'm currently I'm uh, involved in a partnership with three other um, famous authors: Frank Menser, Tim Kask, and Chris Clark. And we're we're uh, EldridgeEnt.com, 
and we the story is king for us. All of our adventures really key in on the story because I think that's what's missing in in modern day products from from the big companies is the storyline and getting involved in the fun of the story. You know, they they want to kill the monster, take the monster's treasure, and go find a new monster. And I think role playing is so much more than that. Yeah, that uh, it's actually weird that we actually had a step backwards in tabletop uh, role playing games uh, with the advent of computer games, because computer games could never give you as much variety of story, and just became sort of grinds like World of Warcraft. There was this weird thing where you know one of those TSR editions of of D and D, or rather, yeah, you know, I should say Wizards of the Coast editions, is uh, they ripped out the story, and suddenly it was like you're playing a uh, a tactical miniatures game rather than with some rewards rather than being immersed in a story. Oh, it's not even... Yes, Scott, I, I agree with you 100%. That's exactly right. They've, they've turned it into miniatures products because they want to sell miniatures figures. Well, that, you know, that's not what Gary and I started back back in the 70s and 80s. Not, nothing, against, nothing against miniatures. We're not saying... No, and, and, it's, but, and it's not even just as a tactical miniatures game. It's a tacticals miniature game trying to act like a video game as well. Yes, you're right. I agree with you 100. Well, percent Well, I'm glad we're all on the same page on our dislike for. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the questions we actually had, um, uh, Jim, was the uh, James was was Jim or James? Jim. I'm really Jim. Like, let's let's just do Jim. <laughs> all right. Uh, is somebody asked? Somebody actually asked, "What is Troll Lords?" And I admit, I am not was not familiar with Troll Lord games until this. I ran off to do some research before the interview, but maybe you can explain really? to some folks. Yeah, so maybe you can explain to some folks uh, who may not know what Troll Lord games is and what kind of products okay, you got. Okay, let's play this. Let's see if I can make this work. Troll Lord games makes wonderful role-playing products, and uh, it, it, it's Castles and Crusades is the game line. Troll Lords has their own um, website, they just make wonderful things. Gary and Steve Chenault got working early and came up with this Castles and Crusades idea, which is very much like, well, I don't know if I should say it's like AD&D First Edition, but it is like AD&D First Edition. Go ahead, Scott. I was going to say, you would not be the first people who, uh, you know, in the, in the business who, who uh, did well in the market because you went back to first principles. Yeah. Well, I think that's what Steve's doing. He's going back to first principles, and they produce a lot of product, and I think they're all high-quality products. But, uh, yeah, Troll Lords, um, they have their own website. You can certainly look them up, and I think you'll find a lot of neat stuff going on there. And I've written, I've written lots and lots of things for them. I've written a horror game for them. I've written, oh, well, actually, let me pull this out. Let me see if I can get this up there. This is what's going to be my claim to fame 100 years from now. This is called the Storytellers Thesaurus. And what this is is a word book for writers, but we've done something very different in our thesaurus. In the other thesauruses, you look up a word, and it shows you five or six other words that mean the same thing. In the Storytellers Thesaurus, you look up something like castle, and it sends you to a section that talks about castles and their parts and what they were used for. So it's, it's much more of, a, of an idea-generating book. Um, just the other day, I was writing um, an adventure, and I put in the phrase Arbalast. And it didn't sound right to me when I put it in there, so I went to my storyteller's thesaurus, and I looked up the word Arbalast, and come to find out, I didn't want Arbalast. I wanted Ballista. <laughs> and so that's what that book helped me helped me discover. And I think that because it's such a unique thesaurus, I think it's going to be around a couple hundred years from now. So uh, I'm really proud of that product. That sounds like a, sounds like a really good uh, tool there for, uh, for for game designers and writers. Absolutely. Oh, that's what we're hoping that that's what we're hoping for that that the writers will really want to pick it up. We've got rave reviews 
from the people who have bought it so far online and done use the online version. But in, when I'm writing, I find I use that thing five or six different times during a project, looking up special terms and concepts. So that's the Trollord Boys. Um, and I know, Jared, that you have the Goodman Games product there. Could you show everybody your hardbound book, sir? Oh, let me uh, hold on a second. Let me get my back brace so I can lift it up <laughs> off the floor, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I have told people they can use the book for shelving. Or to stop a bullet. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, and we've, uh, we, we've I've, again, I've actually showed this on the podcast before, is the giant, well, that'll that'll lead us into um, my next question was, uh, when I sh I'll show this and then we'll talk about it, I wanted to know was how the very successful Metamorphosis Alpha uh, Kickstarter uh, started, uh, how it came about. Sure. So here is the big, this is just the box you know, as it may seem that it, look, it's it's bigger than my head, and <laughs> and inside the box, as we know, is a very giant book, barely thick yeah. book, tons and tons and tons of content in here: magazine articles, interviews, histories, uh, revisions. Giant book, thick quality uh, paper that it's printed on. The thing, the thing is amazing. And then recently. Uh, just like Jim, I got my box of supplemental goodies because this Kickstarter was just filled with goodness. It was like, uh, yeah. Uh, is that a, is that an original printing in there as well, or not an original? No, no, that's the oh. that that is the that is the game master screen. I have a post a giant poster in here, modules, you know, handouts. Hey, Jared, would you do me a favor and pull out that poster? Oh, sure. Here's sure. a. Here's a funny little story. So I'm, I'm opening my box for the first time and seeing all these goodies, and I was really pleased. And I saw that white piece of paper at the bottom of the box, and I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was like, you know, a protective paper or something. So, uh, like, weeks later, I'm opening the box to look through the material, and it happens to fall out of the box, and I realize it's, it's a wonderful poster Right, of the inside of the guts of the ship, uh, it's just an amazing piece. I'm gonna have to stand. I'm gonna have to stand back so everybody can see this. So hold on, hold on. And yeah, uh, Goodman Games for this Kickstarter project, they just kept giving and giving. Let me tell you, yeah, it is the best eighty dollars I've ever spent. I got so much stuff. All right here is. Oh, that's nice. Here's the Holy shit! All right, isn't that thing amazing? It's just high quality wonderfulness. The author, the artist that did that, did all the covers as well on all the other books, and it's just astounding. Yeah, this thing is gigantic. Uh, we're moving soon. I'm going to see if I could uh, see if my wife will let me find some space so I can hang this up at least in my office. So. <laughs> oh, there we go. There we go. So what happened was, um, I think it's about a year and a half ago now. Um, Joseph Goodman of Goodman Games, I, I'd seen him around conventions and things. He gives me a call and says, Jim, we'd really like to do Metamorphosis Alpha. And I kind of laughed at that. And I told him, Joseph, I'm already doing Metamorphosis Alpha. And he says, no, 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 Jim. We want to do a high-quality, museum-quality book that has everything that's ever been done about Metamorphosis Alpha. And I was kind of amazed. I, I, at first, I didn't think anybody would want it. But uh, he talked me into it, and we started work on things. And uh, we did it as a Kickstarter. And I'm very happy to say that he liked all of my Kickstarter ideas. Very early on, we discovered that the fans who were going to buy into this wanted a lot of printed material. And so, uh, yes, that's the armband. In Metamorphosis Alpha, every single person that was on the ship in the beginning was given an armband, and there's different colors. There's that, that was the white medical band that we saw, and there's a brown band for just a normal citizen, and there's red and blue bands for security, and there are communication devices, and there are things that you really want to get a hold of. So that was one of the Kickstarter stretch goals. And it's really funny because everybody's saying that they really hope that they didn't get sent 
a brown band. <laughs> no, nobody wanted the plain citizen band. They all wanted the good colors, oh, of which course. I thought was very amusing. Yeah. But uh, so we did a lot of different Kickstarter ideas, and people were happy about it. And, uh, and Joseph really liked the way it all turned out. And, uh, and, and of course, the product is coming out now. It, most of it's been shipped, but uh, the international people all got everything last, and, uh, which doesn't make them happy, but at least they're getting it. And uh, it turned out to be a tremendous Kickstarter, and I was very happy with the result. Oh, I was very happy to, to, to give the money and uh, get all the really good products. Uh, now, actually, here's a, here's a quick question for you. Let's, let's do a little cross-reference here. A uh, quick question, Jared? Yeah, Come well, on. well, for me. Uh, <laughs> now, we, we showed the, the medical band, which were the identification bands on the, on the Starship Warden. Now, it was this, were these uh, the inspiration or the predecessor to the ID cards that we saw in Gamma World? All the colored cards? Yes, absolutely. We wanted to do something different, so we went to cards in Gamma World. But, uh, yeah, there was, it's kind of a, a, a key. It, it's an all-purpose tool. It's, it opens doors. It uh, clues in robots that you shouldn't be killed instantly. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Now, um... i, I got to hold on. i got to throw this out. The one thing that I always remember... Always sticks in my head about Gamble World was that one random encounter in the back of the book where it's a combat cyborg or something that has gotten a programming chip in it for housekeeping. Yeah. And it's wandering around. There's like you're going through a ruined city and there's one block that's perfectly clean. And <laughs> it's just this one robot that's going around with like the programming of uh, Hazel or whatever the name of the, uh, the, the the cleaning robot from the Jetsons was and is keeping uh -huh. the one block clean. That always stuck in my head as one of the most inspired, you know, off-the-wall, post-apocalyptic moments. Uh, thank you very much, sir. I, I have my moments. Yeah. Thank you. That one was that. And when I sprung it on my players, it always, every time I used it on a new group of players, and they, they were always completely freaked out, not by the death machine shooting at them, but by it puttering around and talking in this sort of like, you know, Mrs. Doubtfire voice and, and <laughs> up all the rubble and, you know, putting paint back on the buildings and straightening things. That, that always creeped them out more than anything else. Sure, I quite understand. Yep. Now, my favorite thing in, in Gamma World, of course, is the radiation and the mutating of people. Um, I, I took a lot, of, a lot of heat in the early days. Everybody wanted to tell me that radiation just doesn't do that. And, and I knew radiation didn't do that, but I didn't care. My radiation is kind of a lot like red kryptonite for a certain other fellow that will go unnamed in that it changes you, and, uh, but mine changes you permanently, of course. And people, people love mutations. They love getting them. They love trying to uh, deal with them when they're not too good. And so I, I think that was another, another uh, highlight of the game in, in the way that that, that works and, and the powers that you get from being a mutant. Oh. Everybody, everybody loved the randomness. The oh, yeah. randomness of that table was, was one of the, the, the key ingredients for me. Was It could just go any which direction. And then there was this, this struggle as of being creative, trying to find a way to integrate these completely contradictory mutations together into your character, and then that would help develop your character concept. Yes, yes, exactly. You know, the most fun for me is when a pure strain human becomes a mutant, and then he loses all of his fantastic bennies for being a pure strain human. <laughs> you know, um, the uh, uh, which reminds me, uh, there was another somebody had asked about. Um, uh, cliches in in sort of post-apocalyptic worlds, and I guess the the super mutants, the super the mutant with superpowers, I guess is one of the classic cliches of post-apocalyptic uh, fiction. And I was, you know, his question, the 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 the, the question was, 
what for you are the most sort of the cliches that never get tired that are always the kind of things that are, are good to use in your players and do you have any cliches you think that have just been done to death and you will be happy to skip that in a post-apocalyptic setting yeah, well I think I have two of those for you um, first of all there's, there's a thing called, a mutation called life leech and what happens is in, in an area around the mutant all life their hit points are leached into the mutant, and that used to be that used to be considered the most powerful power of all the mutations. In that you could get several hundred hit points, and they last for 24 hours. And when I would play the game on the player's side, that would always be one of the things that I would pick up on and use. And uh, it worked really good until some of the other people at TSR decided that there should be a thing called anti-life leech paint. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I would come up to life leech a thing, and it would have this paint on it, and my life leech wouldn't work, and they'd kill me. I'm, I'm As, oh, Was this a low-tech thing? Was this like something that the, the tribals realized that they needed? Cause... Yeah, no, this was... This was from one of those stupid cryptic alliances with lots of technology. <laughs> okay. That are never good. Yeah, that are never good. Yeah. And, uh, and the other thing, of course, was the singing vine. Mm. I love the singing vine. It's a big, great big plant. You come up to it, you want to eat it, you want to kill it, and it starts singing, and you learn to love it. And you learn to want to fertilize it, and you learn to want to take care of it, and you learn that it's the most important thing in the world. And I think I used it just a few too many times because Gary started killing all the plants in the area with the chance that a singing vine might come into the area. So on all of, in all of his villages, they were desolate. No trees, no shrubs, no anything. So the singing vines couldn't hurt them. And that's, and that's, I just imagine, if you will, my good friend Gary Gygax running out of the room that we were playing in with his fingers in his ears going, na 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 so he couldn't hear the singing vine. <laughs> <laughs> that really takes all the dignity that we imagined Mr. Gygax had out the window. Now it's just, uh, now just Gary with his fingers in his leather jacket. I know, I know. In his leather jacket and his, you know. <laughs> yeah, and his do-rag, yeah. And his do-rag. My, my, best, my best Gary Gamworld story is he's, he's playing in the game and he finds this great big medical center and he finds the, the uh, artificial intelligence that deals out all the supplies. And he says, I really want a drug That'll make me super strong and really smart. And so the artificial intelligence says to him, how many metric tons would you like? I will never forget the expression on Gary's face. <laughs> metric tons? His eyes get real big. His mouth goes into a big O. It was just, it was a wonderful moment in gaming. <laughs> now, that had to be a trap. Tell me that that was a trap. <laughs> oh, no, he got metric tons on oh pallets. Oh, my God. He had no way to carry the pallets out of the hospital. <laughs> he had to settle for just taking a container, but uh, he really wanted the whole pallet worth. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That's a classic player character moment. Where it's like, yes, so yes, how, it's how, are we, how are we getting the dragon's trove out of this cave when all we have are a few sacks? Did anyone remember to bring bags? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Oh, my God. Now, now back to the, uh, when you were talking about radiation, uh, Jim, you were saying that everybody, yes, they're saying everybody was giving you a hard time how your radiation mutated people. But, it's, but you know, but you had to look. It's like, well, yeah, we, we, like, you're right. We know that, but it's a game. You know, it's, it's that retro future. Because ba didn't back then, like early on, people had this misconception that radiation would mutate people, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly right. That's where I got the idea. Yeah, and that's a, it, it works great for the game, you know, because it's uh, it just it just fits it fits beautifully, you know. Yeah, I, I, I mean, what fun would them be if all the radiation did to the ants was make them have 
five legs instead of six, and you know maybe the hive can't operate properly or the queens are born sterile. Who cares about that? I want giant ants threatening. Yeah, that's exactly me. right. I, I quite agree. Yeah. Now, uh, now, Jim, let me let me ask you a question about the seventy-seven uh, lost lost worlds. Now you now you use uh, a deck of cards as as a mechanic. Now, is there any plans to maybe make uh, produce a special Lost Worlds deck of cards? You know that that are like. Well, of course, we're going to actually uh, show everybody that deck in uh, March at GaryCon. Oh, ex excellent, excellent! Because I was wondering, it's like, yeah, you got to produce a nice special deck with mutations or whatever, or something, you know, very post-apocalyptic to use for the game. That would be excellent. I quite agree. No, that that is an idea that we had. The only thing that slowed it up was getting the fifty-two pieces of fun art. Oh, excellent! That's expensive. Jer Jared and I both know when it comes to commissioning art, fifty-two individual pieces is a, that's a monster. Yes, yes, it is. Right, cool. So um, let's see here. Uh, I'm just trying to look at some of these other questions uh, from some of the fans. Is um, uh, somebody Scott, asked? You got a couple too, don't you? Yeah, I got a couple. Somebody asked, "Was uh, what would you do differently if you were to launch a Gamma World for the first time today? Like right now, you're making you're making Gamma World right now. What would you do? Uh, what would you do differently?" Okay, that's an excellent question, and and really the 77 Lost Worlds is the way that I would have done it. So what I want to do is I want to diversify the product and get as many people interested as possible. So a novel would come out, an anthology of short stories would come out, the website would have the ability to, to uh, generate characters so that you could print out your character off your off your computer and off the website. So I would work up as many different ways to interest the people as possible in the game, um, and then I'd hit the convention circuit with it. So I'm going to like five conventions this year, and at every single one I'm running a 77 Lost Worlds game. And, uh, and so, uh, again, diversif diversifying is the key. It's, it's kind of, and, and I don't like mentioning the big boys, but... They, when, when TSR went away, they kind of lost that. They got rid of all the big campaign worlds and kind of narrowed it down to just the game. And I think that they lost a lot when they did that. When the, when the Ravenloft went away and when the Al-Kadim went away. Um, so what I, what I would do is I'd push the storyline in Gamma World again. We'd get miniatures going. We'd get plush toys going. We'd get <laughs> card games and board games going all in the same year that the role-playing game came out. You, you know you could sell Jared a plush death machine. No problem. Yeah, there we go. Oh, and <laughs> there we go. In a hot second. Yeah, you, that, that's, that's one sale immediately, if you can get that. Uh, now, you know Grenadier made a wonderful death machine miniature. Yep. I have a lot of the original... Grenadier miniatures still on the blister pack in my uh, closet. I have about twenty. I have about twenty-three or four of the original fifty-two. Oh, they go for big money these days. I, yeah, I, I paid some big money for some of those. Mister, <laughs> Mr. do you want to actually drop the number you suspect that twenty-five miniatures has set you back? Uh, probably over the at the end. I did this over years, many years. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe about it probably costs any. I'd say maybe, maybe in the eleven hundred range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that death machine go for four hundred bucks, <laughs> unpainted. Uh -huh. I wish I wish I had one of those. Um, <laughs> so 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 essentially, then to, you know, you answered your question. So essentially, seventy-seven lost worlds is your new gamma world. Like for, well, it's. Kind of, sort of. Yeah, it's, it's a new role-playing product that I that I would like to get out there. And Stephen, my my partner in crime on that one, is just I think he's doing everything right. We have a great website. We have uh, great. Uh, we have little free adventures being given away free on the website. We have uh, the box set, and now we're going to work on a, a hardbound advanced set that's going to come out this year. 
and uh, and I think the storyline that he created is just excellent because of, of, of what it brings you. It brings you high adventure. What happened to those 77 worlds? You start out on the moon in, in, in a dome, in a tourist dome, and you have to get from the moon to the blasted earth, and then you have to get from the blasted earth out to the 77 worlds to see what the aliens did to each of those worlds. So uh, we had that all mapped out. That took me forever to do. But, well, uh, seventy. It's, it's hard enough building one world, or, or rather having setting up one world apocalypse, but you're talking about 77 different worlds where you had to come up with 77 different places, and then you had to wreck them. And I'm presuming yeah. you, you wreck them in different ways. So that yeah, not exactly. every one of them is wrecked in the same manner. One place. No, I had to do 77 completely different worlds. Uh, oftentimes I wished he would have called his game the 33 Lost World. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get that. I get that. That's an enormous it amount of sources. Forever. It took me forever to get to 77. But I finally did, so I'm happy with that. Woo! Very cool. Now, um, I'm going to give us one more... Uh, viewer question which was what is your what is your uh, most and least favorite thing about Gamma World? My most and least favorite thing. Hmm. That's a great question. My most and least favorite thing. I well I really like the weapons that I did in Gamma World. Because most of them exist today. Yeah. <laughs> You know, the death rays and, and the laser pistols and, and all of those. So I did a good job of guessing what was going to happen. I just uh, I just guessed it not soon enough. <laughs> my, 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 think, favorite uh, weapon, my favorite weapon is the, is the fusion rifle. Oh, of course. What a marvelous weapon, huh? Uh -huh. It leaves radiation wherever you shoot it. <laughs> uh, and, I'm, surprised, uh, I'm surprised, Jared, you didn't go with the vibroblade. As your favorite weapon, I, I was expecting. I, I just like the idea of pat, strapping on this giant backpack of radiation and just spewing it all over the place. You know. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, I'm working on a Troll Lord product right now. It's it's a book of spells, and in the book of spells, what are you holding up? You're holding up the figure out charts. Yeah. Speaking of favorite things in Gamma World. Oh, they are fun. Let me get, let me get back to that. There's. There's this, I'm working on this book of spells for the Trollard Games Boys. And in the book of spells, you have the ability to summon these uh, new kinds of dragons. There's a cloud dragon. There's a lightning dragon. And, and it sounds great. You summon them. They do one combat for you or they do one task for you. And then they go away. But you, you, you don't figure out until later that they go away all right, but they go away to make their own dens in your campaign world. So that later on, you're fighting those creatures that you summoned to help you out. <laughs> I think people are going to really appreciate that. So I think the worst thing in Gamma World, early on, other authors that did support product went for the laughs instead of the seriousness. And I think the reputation... It, it got was it was too comedic, which I think hurt sales after a while. I, I agree. Uh, a lot of people think that it's very uh, very wahoo, the term they use, very two tongue in cheek, uh, and I, I could totally see that, Jim. Uh, but when, when I played my game, we tended to be we tried to take a little more you know quote unquote serious slant to it. We we didn't just do as as much as the over the top goofiness that was uh, built into it later on, you know. Yeah, I do know. I, and I, I try, I, you know, you want laughs. I mean, Shakespeare wanted laughs in his tragedies. Oh, and so I want the same thing. But, you know, I, I don't want, like, silliness all over the place, everywhere you look. Yeah, yeah the, uh, there's a, uh, an author who writes about, um, you know, uh, bad gaming experiences. And he does this, Al Bruno the Third. Can we tell the story, Jared? We can, we can name drop Al Bruno the Third. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah let's, uh, let's do that because... Uh... We're getting close to an hour here. 
So I want to try to, you know, get a few more questions in and get Jim, right. and get Jim wrapped up here in a little bit. But, but uh, Mr. Brewer wrote these stories online about, you know, these sort of terrible gaming experiences. And there's actually some places online you can go to hear people who've taken his stories and turned them into scripts and turned them into, like, radio plays of bad gaming. And um, and, and, and as you listen to them, there's, there's, always, there's always something for everyone what you've experienced in, in your, your gaming career as a bad experience. And one of them was the, was the uh, 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 World game where somebody gets multiple limb and decides to create his new character, the Coctopus. <laughs> oh, jeez. And, and it's just like, yeah, I think we've all been there and had that horrible moment where it's like, uh, yeah, that's not how we, that, okay, never mind, player agency, go ahead. Be the yeah, really. You know, wait, wait till you get to this. Wait till you get to the the, the, the desert made out of broken glass. Okay, that's yeah. what I about that. Uh, but, in, but anyways, yeah, I, I just wanted to throw out. There's always that thing where it goes where people always latched on to the most ridiculous elements um, and just played it for laughs. We never did. Um, we we always played it pretty pretty straight. Um, I'm I'm glad to hear that. When we were kids, uh, you know. Um, and certainly, going back to it, you know, if we went back to it, it would end up looking a lot like, it would end up looking a lot like uh, Fallout, and it's and there'd be some humor, but it's still pretty grimo. Um, definitely. Um, one of the when I held up the, uh, the 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 artifact chart, one of the last questions from from a, a viewer was, um, did you have any? Uh, did you could you did do you possibly have a, a favorite story about when players ran into a mundane object or situation <laughs> that they misunderstood and got completely wrong and is still sort of one of your favorite moments of, of botching the figure-out table in Gamma World or, or just encountering an object that they could not figure it out despite the fact that it was a phone or a hair curtain, hair iron or something, you know. Sure, sure. Now, this one, Jared, you might want to, like, uh... Like, delete the whole thing after I'm done. We'll have to see. <laughs> oh, no, no. But, we, uh, we, we, don't, we don't edit, Jim. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so the adventurers are, are in a desert, very dry. They've run out of water. They're in big trouble. They find this complex. And they get in there, and they start fooling with stuff, and they get to this, this uh, weird room, and they start trying to figure out, these devices against the wall, and suddenly they spurt tons of water. And they go, ho-ho, we're saved, everything's great. And they fill up all their containers, and they fill up, you know, everything they can, and they, they drink deeply and heavily because they, they figured out how to work this, this great big white fountain, this long white fountain with a drain at the bottom, and these weird smelly tablets by the drain bottom. Uh come to find out that they've discovered how to work urinals in the bathroom. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm -mm. That's some good water, right? Huh? <laughs> I'm, 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 I'll tell you, I smiled all the way home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you, uh, Jim, did you ever run across a, uh, a, uh, a book, an illustrated book called the... Um, was the Motel of Mysteries? Yes, yes. Uh, did, uh, did you ever, does that ring any bells to you, Mr. Uh, Jim? It sounds familiar. Is it like a pick-a-path book? Well, it was, uh, it was like an il illustrations from an archaeological dig where they, they had a thing where 19th, 1980s, 1970s civilization has collapsed. We are now in the future, and they're talking about digging out this old motel like it's King Tut's tomb. And oh, there's, really? a, there's a big section about how, you know, they think that the toilet seat is a headdress, you know. They're oh, misinterpreting really? all the yeah, they're misinterpreting all the uh, uh, all the stuff in the, in the in the hotel to mean different things. I think it's a they think it's a series of burial chambers. Like Wow. Uh, yeah. You and, think I can still buy it on Amazon? Uh, I hope so. Um, I would not be surprised if the mo it's motel of mysteries, right, Jared? I, I believe that's what it's called. I would go in the other room and grab it off the shelf, but it's packed away already. So <laughs> that excuse is getting pretty old, Jared. I don't know. <laughs> it is. It is. 
he doesn't really have any of these things. He's just lying. Yeah, um, I hear you. I, I'm a big phony, folks. <laughs> You've got my secret. But uh... <laughs> so, Jared, more questions from you. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, well, actually, uh, I got a couple, couple quick questions. Well, they never quick. I always say quick questions. I'm such a liar. Um, I, w I was uh, talking with uh, kind of Jim through chat uh, a couple days ago because he watched our Gamma World uh, episode. And uh, remember in that episode, Scott, I was relaying the story of Fear is Good, the article by Roger Moore, how he gave the story about he had, uh, oh. he had the players have gods go up against a couple of death machines just to kind of uh, drive home <laughs> the fact that Gamma World is deadly. Now, mm -hmm. in that article, Jim, uh, he had said something that, that he kind of was – I think he said he was kind of influenced to create that, that, that situation from playing with you. Uh, sure. So, how, how did that? How, you know, can, can, do you think is there anything you could elaborate on that a little bit? Like, why would he? Why would he come up with something like that, uh, Jim? Why would he? Oh, that's a good question. I, I'm with you on this. Um, and basically, it, it has something to do with with how G Gary Gygax taught me how to play the game. He he never coddled his players. You made you made a bonehead mistake. You died. And so I, that's always the attitude I have had. And, and what I've taken to do at conventions is at the beginning of the, of the event, I always warn everybody that, that my games, my adventures are deadly. And if you manage to survive all the way to the end, you have actually accomplished a, a, a feat of skill that not a lot of people can do. I, I generally, I would say probably... And this makes me very sad, but I would say 75% of the time I get total party kills at the events because people just, they rush into things. I, I tell them in the beginning of the game, don't rush into that doorway. Check it out. And invariably, they'll rush into a doorway. The monsters on either side of the door will grab them and eat them, and all the rest of the party will continue to rush in the doorway. Wow. So, it's, it's, it's a, I tell them it's a deadly environment, and you have to be careful. And if they aren't, and they rarely are at, at conventions, they, people just don't have a love for their characters at conventions. So they don't care if they get killed. They don't care if they get wounded. They don't care if acid gets thrown all over their bodies. They just don't care. Well, I mean, I've had people die in four seconds in my game. <laughs> wow, you are, you are a killer DM, Jim. No, you know, and I, and I, he's just. I right rail against it. I do. I, I I try to tell them I don't like killing people, but but they just die because they uh, they they the big companies don't want you to kill the characters, so they're very specific in their rules and their sets. DM, don't you go killing your players because that'll make them very sad. Well, nuts to that. The the <laughs> feeling of fear and urgency is the fun thing about it. I mean, I've been in tons of games with Gary, and, and I was afraid for my character every single minute. And that was part of the fun. You know, I, I, uh, I, I write for Call of Cthulhu, which is still the game that has the reputation for being no fun because it, you know, kills the characters, or you run out of sanity points or whatever. And um, even so, as deadly as that game is, um, you know, I... I, I don't try to kill players. You don't have to. The mechanics are just so deadly that they can kill themselves. If yeah, just... that's what I say. Yeah. Judges shouldn't kill players. Players kill players. Yeah, and I'm certainly not going to rescue them if they've messed up. You just got to let the chips fall where they may. You know, um, a guy rolls a fumble on his, um, he fumbles his, his demolition roll while he's planning an explosive. I'm like, well, roll a second percentage dice to see how bad your malfunction is and he gets another yeah. he gets another critical fail on a roll and I'm like I don't know what to tell you right exactly right so you know? my thought is if you warn him at the beginning then then you've done everything you can do yeah you know it's this you think this is a problem where this generation just never went through tomb of horrors yeah mm -hmm. no I, I think it's I think it's because the big boys are teaching them not the best way to play a game um, I agree that there is a soft sell. Well, it's, a, yeah, it's probably it probably stems from the whole thing about uh, you know 
how everybody graduates from every grade now. And when they, when you have kids with their soccer matches, both teams win. Nobody's a loser because we don't want people. To have, I know. We don't want people to have bad feelings. You know, we don't want people to. You know, I don't know. But uh, I don't. I, I don't want my players to die while playing. I want them to win, but I also want them to feel like they goddamn accomplished something. They know? earned it. Yeah. Yeah, I want them to get to the other end and go, "Oh yeah, we two hit points, motherfucker! I I made it." You know. I know. I know just what you mean. Okay, cool. Uh, thanks, Jim, for it. So now we know why uh, Roger Moore wanted to instill that fear into his folks to let him know that, hey, man, just just don't, just don't, <laughs> you know. Now, uh, we already you already kind of answered one of our other questions. You did, did give us a pretty good rundown on uh, some of the other things that you are uh, currently working on with the Castle and Crusaders or the Troll Lord, 77 Worlds. Um, I want to kind of kind of bring us to a close here. And I, I did want to ask this question, and you did say we're okay with this one, was um, is, there, is there any chance in the world, do you think, that you would ever be able to get your rights back to, to your Gamma World game? You know, unfortunately for me, Hollywood is knocking on the wizard's door. They keep talking about a live-action Gamma World thing which would be tremendous. I mean, I would love it. But it, it's just talk. So as long as Hollywood's knocking on that door, I'm never getting it back. Plus, I'm not a rich guy, so if they wanted, Jim, uh, sure, we'll give it back. Just give $98,000. Uh-oh. My yeah. telephone battery is signaling that it's almost dead. Then that must be our last question. We've, we've arrived at the end. I, I'm sorry. I can be disconnected at any second. All right. Well, then we'll uh, we'll try to wrap it up. And okay. So now we know that uh, Hollywood is teasing Wizards of the Coast with um, you know making a movie, which would be awesome if it was done right. But of course, we know that you know, you know that they wouldn't do it right. So maybe maybe it's good that they don't ever do it. You know. Um, and uh, well, if if there's ever anything we could ever do to um, help you with this effort you know even if it's helping you if you get some kind of fundraiser if we needed money for it we would always be there to help because i would as soon, as, soon as we win the lottery yeah that's, that's oh my cool point. yeah i appreciate that there might be a kickstarter for uh an ma computer game i'll, I'll have you guys help with that oh absolutely Any, anything we could do anything we could do for that so oh, we'll spread the word on a metamorphosis alpha computer game yes please abs, abs, absolutely that would be fun i would enjoy it too absolutely Okay, so let's uh, we'll get we'll get the, we'll kind of wrap it up here. Do you have any last words uh, that you would like to, to share with the folks, uh, Jim, before we go? Well, it's just I still love the players and I and I love playing the game and writing the game, so I'm going to continue that as long as I can. Excellent. Uh, well, we're definitely we're definitely back here uh, to support you to help keep you going, and. Uh, what we'll do is once I get everything all settled up and we'll get this posted, I'm gonna put some you know links to all the different things that we talked about. I'll get I'll get all that up there. I might not get it done tonight, but I will I will get them up there, and I'll continue to uh, you know spread the word about all your uh, good uh, products, all the things you're working on, uh, and that's really it. But again, again, Jim, thank you very much for uh, joining us tonight. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you for putting up. With the problems we had, but we we made it work, and you're you're a real trooper for for putting up with us and sticking through this to make to make this happen. We really 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 right. appreciate it. I hope it does work. We'll have to see. Oh no, we'll we'll get this recorded. Uh, we'll get this. I'll get it saved. I'll get it uploaded, and I'll share the link so people can uh, watch it. So, all right, folks. So that was uh, Mr. James M. Ward uh, with us tonight. Adam Bomb Glancy. And uh, this is Jared, the Apocalypse Nerd Wallace, uh, for Podcast at Ground Zero, episode 39. Now, uh, normally we do a show in about uh, about two weeks, but that may get delayed because I'm in the middle of, I'm going to be moving that week, so I might not be able to do it. But I'll keep everybody informed about when the next show is going to be and what it's going to be about. And um, that's all we got for this week, folks. So, again, uh, this is Jared, Jim, and Scott. Uh, saying goodnight from the wastelands. Thank you and goodnight. All right. Thanks, guys.